Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hello! Welcome to the Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast. I'm, I'm merely Andy Barron. That's, that's all I am. Uh, your semi-regular Tuesday host. But you aren't here for me uh, because today I am joined by really a, a legend. Uh, Scott Fish is with us of Scott Fishbowl fame. And if you've ever listened to this podcast during draft season or followed literally any member of the fantasy industry on pretty much any social platform, you've surely seen the SFB hashtag. Fishbowl is an amazing league with uh, ever-changing settings a huge number of participants. It's It numbers, I don't know, in the thousands, the tens of thousands. There's no way that Scott even knows for sure how many people are in <laughs> Fishbowl at this point, I would guess. How to even introduce Scott. He has just a zillion awards to his name, including the FSGA's Humanitarian of the Year for his extensive charity work, both via Fishbowl and other avenues. Um, he's also the Athletics Person of the Year from 2018. Person. There's a lot of people out there, folks, and <laughs> Scott was the best one in 2018. He obviously uh, couldn't carry that into 2019, but hey, I mean, nobody's nobody's perfect, right? Uh, he is the host of Commission Impossible, the definitive commissioning podcast. He's the proprietor of Safe Leagues. You can find him on Twitter, at ScottFish24. There's other stuff to say, but this is just an exhausting list. So, Scott, welcome. Thank you for coming on. Oh, thanks, man. Thanks for having me. This is That is quite a list, and... Yeah, it's it's way too much. It's uh, it's incredible that those those places have uh, given such awards to me, and uh, I really feel like those awards were for the whole industry. I, I accepted them. I'm going to have them in my house, but, but it was the whole industry that banded <laughs> together and and helped make those things happen. We were we were talking off pod not that long ago, and uh, I, I was reminding you to make sure that you wear your humanitarian of the year sash to the FSGA <laughs> convention um, because yep. I believe you are still the reigning humanitarian of the year. They did not award one in twenty twenty. Correct, correct. The uh, they did not award one, so I'm I'm a two year reigning champ, first ever two year reigning champ, I believe. <laughs> First ever humanitarian champ, first ever back to back champ. It's it's really incredible. Um, going for the three peat this year. Good luck to you. Um, <laughs> yeah, we are going to talk. We're going to talk league settings today because this is kind of the time of year when you know if, if you want to if you want to hector your fantasy commissioner, you want to you want to mm -hmm. pester them about changing, tweaking some league settings uh, in the season ahead. May is a really good time to do it. June is a good time to do it because they're just beginning to think about relaunching the league and uh, whether or not they want to make any changes. Mm -hmm. League settings are, weirdly enough, a, a bit of a passion of mine. 
Scott Fish will not league shame, but but I oh. might just a little bit. It's possible <laughs> that I will. Uh, anyway, because this is the season for that. But before we get to any of that, uh, we got we got some news that we probably got to deal with at the top, because uh, if this is anything, this is a breaking news podcast. Let's start with Aaron Rodgers. He's skipping off-season workouts, and yep. he essentially confirmed to Kenny Maine what has been reported about his uh, unhappiness with the Packers organization. Scott, you're a Vikings fan. Yep. I'm a Bears fan. It's it's possible that you're just too nice a guy to <laughs> revel in the collapse of the Rodgers-Packers relationship, but I am certainly not. Um, the Packers have been a plague in my life, a stain in my <laughs> life for several decades. Um, how are you feeling about all this nonsense? I'm feeling he needs to go because if the Bears are going to get fields <laughs> and Stafford's going to go to the Lions, we need somebody to go. There's two... <laughs> I was I was liking yeah. that Goff Trubisky <laughs> over there um, for the other two teams, but no, I'm I, I think he's gone. I, I can't see him playing another down for the Packers at this point, and I'm I'm probably not the only one speculating that. I just I, I think this might be a broken bridge. Uh, I don't I don't know if it's Denver. I don't know what's going to happen, but uh, it's fun. It's fun in the middle of the off season when there's not a lot of news that we get to talk about Aaron Rodgers and Julio Jones and stuff. Right, right. It's fun that they're both confirming uh, yeah. the, the the speculation and reporting that has been out there for a long time. So nobody nobody gets to say anymore that this is just you know the the media whipping up a right. you know some sort yeah. of storm of controversy. Like a Mac this Jones is, going one one oh two or one oh three thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, th- this this is real. Um, yep. He's pretty clearly not happy. Um, good chance that he lands elsewhere. You can still get, by the way, you can still get the Broncos at plus a thousand, I believe, at BetMGM. Uh, to to win the uh, to win the AFC, they're they're obviously a ready made team. You just mm-hmm. you just pluck Aaron Rodgers in there, assuming he can beat out Teddy Bridgewater or Drew Locke or whatever for the yeah. for the starting quarterback job. Um, that's a pretty that's a pretty ripe situation. You if mentioned. Dra- I was going to say, ahead. if you're drafting now, <laughs> draft some Broncos just in case <laughs> they're they're oh, not moving sure. up the board it, right very well yet. It's a it's a good point and. Uh, you know, I, th- I feel like I've talked about this with uh, with Pianowski maybe a little bit on other pods, but uh, uh, y- you know, I've already I've already you know on the assumption that uh, or just on fears of a Rogers departure, I- I've downgraded a whole bunch of Packers, mm-hmm. and I've I've begun to to slowly elevate a few a few Broncos. I don't know yeah. if you've done the same. Even in rookie drafts, Amari Rogers was going before the draft was going like end of first round, and now he's end of second round, early third round because. Aaron Rodgers is basically confirming what he, you know, that he might not be or probably won't be back. Yeah, um, it's a it's a huge like it's problematic. I have all these drafts going on right now. In fact, I think I've muted all the sound effects on them. I'm in all these like slow, <laughs> you know, best ball startup drafts and whatnot right now. And um, I'm I'm steering clear basically of it. It just seems it seems pretty clear to me that I've I've downgraded Packers maybe a little bit more than the rest of the industry because I'm not I, I don't seem to be landing any of them. I don't have Aaron Jones anywhere. I don't have Devontae Adams anywhere. <laughs> um, and it's not that I'm it's not that I'm entirely against drafting them. I've just lowered them to the point, you know, I've, I've lowered them to a level where, you know, I, I'd be comfortable. I think even yeah. if like Blake Bortles is their quarterback. Yeah. It delights it, me to say that Blake Bortles might be the green Bay quarterback, <laughs> by the way, that is my favorite thing I've yet said on the, on the, on this podcast. Yeah. It's, and you wonder how QB proof Devonte Adams is. You saw him in 2017 with Brett Hundley and he had a bunch of 50, 60, 80 yard games. I think he scored five mm-hmm. or six touchdowns in that, in that seven, eight game span. So like he, <laughs> he could still be decent, but you do have to downgrade him. 
Yeah, um, a- absolutely great player, absolutely great technician. But it's so it's you know it's the NFL, and it's just impossible to separate a quarterback from his receivers and the receivers from the right. quarterback and whatnot. So um, you, you got to downgrade a little bit. Otherwise, obviously, if there's a happy Aaron Rodgers right now and a happy Devontae Adams, there you know he's the number one wide receiver and he's right. an easy you know top six, top eight quarterback. Um, you mentioned Julio Jones, and I feel like we have to hit this too, even though. Uh, on this podcast, Julio Jones has been discussed for uh, arguably uh, more than than uh, almost any player deserves to be discussed. But we just keep coming back to it. You know, Julio, who may or may not have known that he was even on live TV, uh, but he definitely knew he was he was speaking to a member of the media. Yeah. He said, I'm out of there, man. When when discussing Atlanta with Shannon Sharp um, again, confirming reporting that has been out there uh, fairly consistently. He is reportedly interested in the Patriots, which to me seems like a a questionable destination if he truly wants to win right now. But he's I believe he's close with uh, with Cam Newton. Sharp was openly discouraging him from going to Dallas, which is really (laughs) honestly, it's one of the few teams that doesn't even have a pressing need for him because they have such a strong receiving core. Um, New Hopkins openly recruiting him to Arizona. Yep. Other obvious fits include literally every other team with Super Bowl ambitions uh, that can possibly create any cap space. So, again, we've we've devoted plenty of time to Julio here, but I'll, I'll give you a I'll give you a platform to uh, to to simply throw out a, a place or two where you might like to see him land. Oh man, there, I, it's it's got to be the Vikings, right? That's probably the best place for Julio Jones at this point. I I feel like it's uh, no, but you kind of went over them. There's not a whole lot of places with with a great amount of cap room that that can also take him in. I saw people floating places like the Lions, and I'm like, yeah, they have a need and they have you know the cap room, but that's not where you're going to win. I, I'm just kind of I'm just kind of waiting it out to this point. I. I know that the Patriots have, there have been some really good inside sources that the Patriots said they've, they've discussed it. I, I think the biggest thing, takeaway from the Julio Jones comment there is it really hurts the, the Falcons leverage. They're not getting a first anymore with him saying that on TV. I think, I think we're down to a second round pick for a trade. Yeah. Um, said a lot of interesting stuff there. I, I think you're right. It's probably not a first, which almost seems crazy for a player of, of Julio's caliber. I, I fully agree with you on the lions. I mean, he just doesn't, he, he doesn't fit their timeline at all. And Julio is good enough that he might accidentally win you a game. Right. And the, the lions aren't, it doesn't, it doesn't seem like the lions are positioned for that. Right. They're not, they're not trying to win any more games than they, than they absolutely have to this season. Uh, and, and uh, you know, if Julio, I, I take him at his word that he wants to win. That is that is not the place that you go to do it. I I can hardly believe that we're not going to get some sort of AFC South bidding war for his services, right? Mm. Like the Colts should definitely be interested because the I mean the, yep. the Colts, m- much in the way that the Broncos are, they've got the defense, they've got a bunch of really fun skill players, they've got the offensive line. Like there's a whole lot mm-hmm. there. They've got a division that is just ready to be taken, um, and they need to give Carson Wentz every possible weapon uh in order to to perhaps prop him up and and salvage his value and salvage his career um and then the titans i guess would be would be the other obvious spot because yeah it's just aj brown and a bunch of of special teamers they don't really i mean you know not to insult josh reynolds or anything but it's not a great receiving core I think you can say that about Washington a little bit too. I, they, mm. they got Deami Brown, who I like, and I think is a, a nice fit with Fitzpatrick. But uh, after McLaurin, it's it's pretty 
pretty bare bones there. That would be an that would be an interesting fit. San Francisco would be an interesting fit because Julio, you know, gets hurt a decent amount, and so do Ayuk and Debu and Kittle and Mostert, and the could be could be a fun interest. Like you have to have three of them on the field at the same time if he goes there, right? Yeah. So you add Julio Jones <laughs> just to make sure that you have like two dangerous skill players on the field yep, at any given at moment. Times. Yep. Yeah. I like that. It's that's a tough one um cuz I feel I mean obviously San Francisco is is sort of all in on the current season and they're you know right. hey they they have a nice little window opening up with uh, with Lance and with Sermon and they you know some some really nice picks there but they also might throw the ball I don't know 25 times a game and it's not you know now now we have to give five of those to Julio Jones because he's he's deserving of them. I mean I really feel like that would that would uh, that would ding pretty much every member of the receiving core mm-hmm. there. Cause this isn't some offense like Cincinnati's where they're just going to put the ball in the air 40, 45 times right. a game. This is probably legitimately 25 to 30 times a game. Yep. Yeah. That's, it's not good for fantasy players. It may be good for their team, <laughs> but, but, but does yeah. Julio want to go somewhere where he's only getting five targets, I, seven targets, you know, probably not. Yeah. It kind of, you, you know, it, it, it puts his uh, feet to the fire, I suppose, in terms of like, if you, if you really want to go there to win, I mean, there's hardly a place that you can go that, that guarantees, you know, 10 wins quite the way that, that San Francisco does, but right. you are for sure not going to see 120 targets. Yep. All right. Let's get into, man, let's get into, let's get into <laughs> fishbowl. Let's get into league settings. Cause again, this is a perfect time of year to talk about it because I, I feel like your commissioners right now are sort of going through, you know, they're, there's a chance to shake the etch a sketch and start anew, right? Mm-hmm. If you want, if yeah, you want to come up absolutely. with some new settings for your league, it is it is probably my favorite aspect. I mean, I like the community aspect of of fishbowl. I, mm-hmm. I obviously uh, enjoy the the charity aspect of it as well. But just as a from a pure gameplay perspective, there's nothing I enjoy as much as having to relearn rules of a league <laughs> each year, right? Because that like there's fun things that change all the time, and you are not afraid to lean into some things that are that are uh, sometimes little used scoring quirks right um right. I, I really enjoy it um and also you. you are the host of a podcast where you talk about commissioner issues i i am a fake judge on yep. uh sundays <laughs> during the nfl season right so we are we are highly qualified to discuss league settings and highly. uh and, yes highly, at, like yeah. as highly perhaps as anybody in the industry yeah, um absolutely and we'll we'll tie it to SFB here um, because again one of the one of the absolutely great things about it is that it is constantly changing. So, tell me, like, take me back to the start of Fishbowl. What were sure. the original settings? And did you did you intend it to just be sort of the same league year after year after year, or did you know going in that hey, we're going to mix this up all the time? When we started it, it was a reader league for the site I ran, and I, I guess the novel thing it was back then was Superflex in 2010. So, like, <laughs> if if you remember back 11 years ago, I mean, Superflex 11 years ago wasn't really a big thing. So, but the first two years were fairly normal, but with Superflex, and I guess that was the start of it. Took a year off, but year three and on, I was flipping those scorings consistently. I was, I was either adding something that I thought that the industry should take notice of and possibly leagues mm. could bring to their leagues, or I was trying to push a narrative of some, of some way. I've done that a couple times 
maybe this year with kickers or the year with points per first down, or I've just done things thematically like the video game scoring year. I did video game bonuses for, for players, uh, kind of a throwback <laughs> to the early two thousands, late nineties, where if, if you got a big yardage chunk or whatever, or big game, you would get bonus points. So um, yeah, I've, I've been flipping it around ever since the third year and uh, it's, it's been really enjoyable. It keeps everyone, analysts and fans on their toes. At what point did it transition from the sort of league where you had to really, you know, you, you had to solicit interest, you had to go out there and say, hey, will you please join this league? At what point did it transition from that to way too many people begging you to get in? <laughs> uh, about year five. Uh, <laughs> year three, year three and four, I think. Year three, I was still, I barely even had anybody on a wait list and I think had to use all of them. Year four, we started to have a wait list. And then by year five, we had more people signing, like over twice as many people signing up that were getting in. So right, right. Yeah. About five or six years ago. How many, how many people do you think are going to be in it this year? Thousands. <laughs> uh, over 10,000 people signed up, have signed up each of the last uh, three years or four years, I believe. Um, and Every year I've been trying to increase it because the fantasy community gets bigger and the like the fantasy industry, I mean, you know, gets bigger. Mm -hmm. So I want more and more of them to be able to play and to connect with each other and to network and and I want their fans to play with them. Uh last year was fourteen hundred and forty teams and it will at minimum be several hundred, at least five hundred more than that this year. Yeah, that's that's just amazing. And and describe describe how it all how you managed to get all of those teams down to like a, a single overall champion. Oh, sure. Yeah. Th this year might change a little just because we have an extra week to deal with. So I, I'm going to have to work on that a little, but basically what we have done in the past is play 12 weeks and then week 13 through 15, the conference kind of plays all together to get a conference champion. Like you whittle down half the teams every single week till you get a conference champion. And then week 16, all of the conference champions played. Uh, this year, we have an extra week to deal with. So um, I'm not exactly sure if it's going to be an extra fantasy, uh, an extra like regular season week, or if I'm going to make an extra week of playoffs and, and, and whittle teams down from that high number to, to one champion uh, a little slower. I'm not, I'm not exactly sure yet, but that's the basic of how I do it. It's it's tricky this year because we have bye weeks that go all the way through week 14. I know. Right. So I'm in leagues that that would, you know, if they maintain their normal schedule, even with the expanded season, the playoffs would normally start like in, in week 14. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to have like four teams on bye, yeah. which is which is crazy, almost to the point that you need to factor it into, you know, if you play in a league like that, you got to think about it on, on draft day. Right. Like yeah. I'd probably still lean toward, you know, I just want to get in. Um, mm -hmm. and, and, and maybe I feel okay about it, but, um, that is a, that is a stumbling block, uh, yeah. for sure. I, we've, I believe we've had stuff that coming to the show that, uh, yeah. you know, use the season average for that player or take that player's buy earlier in the season. And then that point score, they attribute to week 14. Um, we've, we've had a few ideas come across the, the desk, so to speak for, for dealing with that. It, it, they're a little more commission heavy though. 
Yeah, I always, man, I, I always have problems with that when we're when we're just taking a play, you know, when, when yeah. it's when it's stats that a player doesn't actually accumulate within a given week. And we like we know we for sure know like it, it's not like you couldn't possibly have predicted that he wouldn't be playing in week 14. Exactly. The, the yep. damn team isn't even scheduled to play. Right. Like, exactly. I, I don't have the list of teams in front of me that are not playing in week 14, but it is a it is a huge problem. I believe the Yahoo default this year. I guess I can I can take people behind the curtain and say what I lobbied for versus what we're going to have is that, uh, uh, you know, that just at public league settings, there's going to be there's going to be two weeks of, of playoffs. I, I believe it's going to be week 16 and 17. Uh, and, and you know, in, in public leagues, week 18 is not going to be considered. Right. I, I'm always a fan of six teams making the playoffs. So, yeah. like, I wanted I wanted six in. And I mm-hmm. like I get it. I think I think in a public league, you know, and in, in most leagues, you've got either 10 or 12 teams and maybe six sounds like a lot, but it keeps people engaged and interested. And it gives two yep. teams buys, which I also like. I feel like the regular yep. season like that is the perfect reward for a great regular season is you get one week of the playoffs. That you don't have to worry about your guys can still get hurt. But you don't really have to worry about it other than that. Um, so I don't know in, in your leagues. What and is what is what is pretty standard for a playoff configuration that, that's, outside? That's of pretty standard. Uh, what mm-hmm. my, my leagues are interesting. <laughs> I, I usually do my playoffs where <laughs> it's the teams that don't have buys play each other and the top two advance. We don't have head to head until the final. So it's the, you know, the four teams in it play each other, the top two advance. That way you can avoid some bad beats. And oh, they advance I kind of like to, that. Yeah. They advance to play the two bye week teams, top two advance to the championship. That way we avoid bad beats. Uh, but I, I mean, I like both ways. And if you're, if you're uh, doing week 14 through 16 with a uh, 14 through 17, and you're doing a double week championship. That's even more incentive to have an awesome regular season to get those buys. Right. Right. <laughs> like it's an even bigger reward. I kind of like that. In, uh, in, in fishbowl, have you ever, well, first of all, what, what are your personal favorite, like sort of odd scoring experiments that you've rolled out? in fishbowl over the years and and has has the league sort of en masse ever just revolted against a a scoring setting (laughs) um so my favorite setting is probably this current one we're using and it's part of the reason it came back in for the most part this year where the quarterbacks have you know tiers and and good ones score good and bad ones score bad and uh you know i'm a i'm a big proponent of having points for first down at least to some degree and I feel like the SFB scoring with that half point per first down, half PPR is like Roto, Rotoviz has done an article on it that it's historically incredibly well balanced among the positions, like five, six, seven years in a row. Yeah. Like it's, it's a very consistently balanced scoring. So I like that. Um, the one people revolted against that we will probably talk about at some or we'll just talk about it now is the year that I brought in points per first down. And they revolted because it's the only thing I brought in. Like there was no PPR, nothing else. Like it was just points per first down. And so everybody who likes PPR was mad at that league. And and I will say a lot of people still liked it. It was probably a 50-50 thing, but they they didn't like their PPR being taken away just for points per first down, which I I really like. Yeah, I won't go on... I don't know. I've, I've, I've ranted, um, enough, I suppose over the years about PPR. Um, and I can, you know, (laughs) I can, I can link to stuff that I've written about it, I guess, and show notes and whatnot. Um, Mm -hmm. 
I, I, I hate some of the equivalencies that it sets up. And I listen, at some level, I'm all for people just play what you enjoy yeah. um, and, and come back and sign up on our platforms and all that. Like I'm, I'm, I'm for that, but I don't, you know, I don't like the idea that a catch for no gain has the same value in the, in the game, in gameplay as, you know, a 10 yard run. Right. <laughs> I don't think that, I don't think that certain kinds of yards are less, should be viewed as less valuable than other kinds of yards. It seems, yep. it seems pretty crazy to me. Um, and it's a huge reward, especially in full PPR for the simple act of like transferring possession of, of the football. <laughs> exactly. Um, and the other, the nice thing about, about first down scoring, number one, a first down has obvious Real tangible value. value within the game, right? A catch does not necessarily have that. A first down does. And it's also the sort of thing when you're, when you're just game watching, you know, even a few beers in, you can still appreciate the fact that your player just scored fantasy points for you because they just gained a first down, right? It doesn't, yep. you don't have to like go through any, any mental gymnastics to appreciate that they have just scored points for you. So I think Absolutely. that's pretty valuable too. I think it's, I, you know, and I also understand, like I was around, you were around when mm -hmm. when PPR came into vogue, which was mostly because there was just the uh, tyranny of running backs at yeah. the tops of drafts. Right. Yep. Like the first round would be 11, 11 of 12 picks would be running backs. And the other one would be either Marvin Harrison or Randy Moss, which, <laughs> you, you know, and people got people got crap for taking him. Right. Um, so but but then the game itself just sort of fixed that, you know, running backs don't all get 270 touches anymore. They don't all get 300 touches and um, receivers are, are a much bigger component of the game. Um, passing, obviously the, the rules of the game are slanted toward pass, passing. Now I, I should stop because I could, no, I could just filibuster absolutely a hundred percent right on. And you know, I feel the same way about it. So it's, I'm a good, uh, sounding block for that. I, I do. I just don't know that games that first downs will ever be mainstream until they're in game centers. Like people yeah. like to look at their box scores and game centers and in order for us going to truly get mainstream, it's got, it's got to start hitting those. Yeah, no, it's a good point. Um, you, Fishbowl was was it had a, a tight end premium aspect to it back in the day, didn't it? Yeah, yeah, it does most years, um, and that's just to get the positions nice and even for that for that draft chaos. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it does have a tight end premium at least last year and this year it does. Yeah, um, like what are your? I mean, obviously you you like that, and your your mm -hmm. one of your objectives here is to is to sort of balance the value of the positions. Do you do you not feel that um, what, what what do you do in in scoring systems to make sure that it doesn't just elevate guys like Kelsey that much more, right? Because yeah. he, you just had such a massive positional advantage with Travis Kelsey last year, and he so dominated the position to a ridiculous extent. But part of me, yeah. feel, like I, I get tight end no, premium, right. but part of me also feels like it just makes him that much more valuable, and maybe he should be a top five pick. Right. Yeah. And it's, it's going to do that. And almost any kind of premium is going to elevate the top guys. And especially when the drop off at tight end, it, like historic, like the last 10 years, there's, there's always been a top three tight ends, pretty much. It's always three. Yeah. And it's just going to do that. The, the really what it's really what it does for fishbowl is because fishbowl is 22 rounds. It elevates those flex plays. Um, so that's how I justify it in my mind that, that it's, it's worth it is because it, it, elevates mm. all those other flex plays down the line on a weekly basis and during the draft to create a little bit of chaos. And, and it does pump those top three or four tight ends uh, way up high in the draft, which is, you know, when are they going to go? It's, it's, it's fun for that, but yeah, it's, it's always going to do that. And you're always going to get a ton of value for those like in a regular scoring or a premium or a, you know, like a two tight end set. 
Um, those top guys are just going to have an immense amount of value. And the more you try to pump up a position, the more value they're going to get, you know, percentage wise. I, I want to give you a chance also to walk through what you've done with uh, with quarterback scoring. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is this is something I love because you've you've found a way to kind of account for the value of accuracy at the position. You've found a way to account for the the like the, the serious problem, but like it, most fantasy leagues, um, default scoring doesn't really punish, uh, turnovers, right? The, right. The, the, I mean, there are game changing plays in real life and they're just kind of a nuisance in fantasy. Yeah. And I don't feel like we've ever scored properly for it, but, um, but you're kind of getting at that in, in fishbowl. And like, I, I feel like a, like a, like a goal of a fantasy commissioner when they're, when they're considering scoring for the quarterback position should be to like, look at the year that Blake Bortles in a terrible season, <laughs> in a season in which he led the NFL in sacks and uh, interceptions and fumbles. Like he, he got the worst triple crown that you could get. And he was a top five <laughs> fantasy quarterback. And that and triple that crown me, needs a name. <laughs> oh, maybe it's just the Bortles. It's maybe the Bortles <laughs> or the Dave Craig, or like there, there's, there's only a few guys who've actually pulled that off and get to yeah. keep their jobs for the full season while fumbling, you know, twice a game and throwing two picks a game and getting sacked five times a game. Yeah. And Bortles was one of them. Um, so I just walked through the quarterback scoring a little bit because I think it's really good. Yeah, sure. Uh, the quarterbacks get your normal yards and touchdowns as a normal league. It's it's the one for every 25 yards, so 0.04 yards uh, on the yard front. Uh, six points per touchdown. But then when you get to interceptions, you get minus four for an interception. Then if the interception goes back for a pick six, you get another minus two, which isn't always on their control, but it's it's such a game-changing play, as you mentioned, yes. that that I like that it completely negates a touchdown that they've scored is because they gave a touchdown to the other team. Uh, they get a half a point per completion and minus one per incompletion, which it turns out to be you basically have to be a 67% or better passer in order to gain points. You know, otherwise, if yeah. you're below that, you're going to lose it. So if you're having a, a bad game, you're going to lose points on on completion percentage. Then you also get minus one for a sack. And that, I brought that in because at the time when I brought it in was a pretty debated slash talked about thing in the industry. Were sacks more of a product of the O-line? Was it more of a product of the quarterback? I think general consensus is that it was more of a product of the quarterback. So I brought it in to just make sure that discussion gets talked about out there. But what all of that did together, those the, that heavy penalty for interceptions the penalty for incompletions, the penalty for sacks. It turned out that the tiers of quarterbacks really started to spread out. And if you had a bad quarterback game, you could really score poorly. And if you had a good quarterback game, you'd, you'd score well, like you normally do. You couldn't just naturally stream a bad quarterback to a 18, 20 point game like you can in a normal league because that quarterback could actually hurt you. And it also made the super flex position a little more a little more interesting there there might be games where you don't want to start a bad quarterback you want to start a guy that can get you some safe points so uh there's a lot of things that that scoring did yeah you kind of you kind of hit on what I, I think is really my my biggest hang up with quarterback scoring is that we just don't generally create enough just standard scoring doesn't create enough separation between guys who are truly gifted, truly great at what they do, and mm-hmm. the, the guys who just happen to attempt 40 passes a game. And they're chuckers, and they <laughs> have that sort of Jameis season, right, where it's where it's 30 interceptions, but eh, who cares? In fantasy, that's just a minus one, no big deal. 
interceptions start to add up between like, you know, the Aaron Rodgers type who might throw five in a given season and, you know, somebody who's going to lead the league at like 18 or 20. Um, that's a huge point difference in fishbowl and we barely feel it in, in most other formats. Yep. Uh, and, and I love that it does that. I, I think it's the kind of scoring that should be in most leagues, just not, not just, uh, not just because I think it's fair, but I think from a trade value standpoint, um, yes, and a draft yeah. capital standpoint, the good quarterbacks become more valuable. If you're in a one QB league, the good quarterbacks become more valuable. You can't sit and stream two, you know, 12 to 24 tight ends. You know, you can, you just can't, you, you can try, but it's, it's much more valuable to try to get one of those top tight ends or top quarterbacks. We have to also hit on what is the, I don't know, perhaps the greatest scoring development of all time. And that is, that is kickers eligibility in, in <laughs> flex positions. I'm like, it brings a tear to my eye. I'm so happy about it. I just, I just want kickers in the game, right? They're yeah. a huge part of the real life game. I just want them in the fantasy game in, in some respect. And I'm, I'm willing to admit that I'm, it feels like I'm on the, the short side of this battle within the industry, right? We have a, this huge push. And I, I think some of it is just dictated by people not wanting to, they don't want to put in the work to yeah. um, figure out who the best kickers are going to be. And I get that feel right. too. It's, it's not yeah. wanting to put in the work. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously there's a lot of people that want to do away with, with defenses and kickers. Uh, kickers have always been a huge part of the game. In fact, you go back a hundred years and like, well, a little bit more than hundred years, but you go back to the turn of the century and like the, the, like kicking a field goal is actually worth more than a, than a touchdown. It has been valued, uh, at, at various points in the game's history. It seems crazy to me to just eliminate it entirely. So talk about kickers in the flex and talk about your scoring system for them. Sure, sure. So the the scoring we're, we are allowing kickers in the flex. Um, part of the reason I am doing it that way is because you mentioned we got a lot of. There's a big push to just remove kickers from all leagues, but there there's some analysts out there. There's you know a good amount of analysts that are really pushing. Uh, no, we need kickers. You can be done. You know, it's uh, they they are not as unpredictable as you think. So I brought the kickers into the flex so that kicker lovers can play them. And kicker haters can avoid them, <laughs> and and I actually feel it's it's a it's a win win situation because the the people who don't like kickers could probably scoop up better you know better waiver wire guys or whatever, and the players that get to use kickers, the kickers actually have value. It, maybe it's a win 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 here. I I win for successfully mediated the conflict. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, um, I think anyway. I think you have this is. Part of what makes you such a great humanitarian, I think, uh, is you, you've brought the the Jake Seelys and the Andy Barons, maybe not together exactly, but yes. we can play in the same in the same league, and and both like sort of run to our corners, and I can I can have a kicker on my roster, and he doesn't have to, and we're fine. Exactly. We can coexist. Yep, perfect. The kicker scoring it's decimal scoring for the field goals. So a thirty-one yarder is three point one points. A fifty-three yarder is five point three points. You know, you're you're going to get more points for the yards. Extra point so is a point. That, that right there, this is a this is a young way coup uh, uh, league in in every possible respect. <laughs> like he's <laughs> the, like the king of the fifty plus yard field goal. I love it. Nice, nice. Uh, extra points are a point. If you miss one, you you lose a point. And if you miss a field goal, you lose three points. It's just a standard three. I thought about like a tiered based on distance, but when I plugged in the numbers and crunched the numbers, it made almost no difference which tells which tells me the field goals 
uh, people miss, like kickers miss, must average out right around that three range. So um, I, I decided not to make it super complicated with, with you know, you miss a long field goal, it's not going to punish you as much. I decided not to do that just for simplicity and because the numbers crunched that it, it wasn't that big of a difference. I actually really like that. Um, and, and that's another area where default scoring settings don't often have, you know, if they have a deduction for missed field goals at all, it's, it's not a significant one. I think a minus three is, is pretty appropriate because Mm -hmm. again, it's a pretty big play within the context of a game. It's a pretty big swing play. If a, if a field goal is missed and you know, the, I mean, the longer the field goal miss, you can have a catastrophic loss in field position too, right? Like it's, it's a, it's a big deal. Um, and it should be, it should be punished. And it's another way, like if you're, if you're anti-kicker, it's another way to kind of suppress kicker scoring too, or just reward the guys that make virtually everything. So, mm-hmm. so I'm a big fan of that as well. Nice. Yeah. I, I actually consulted a few of the kicker aficionados in the industry. I, I, awesome. I, I actually didn't even come to you and I, I should have, I should have shot you a message on that, but I did ask a few people, Hey, well, is this, I'm willing is to concede that Denny is probably the, the foremost, uh, I did go to him. <laughs> propagandist. Yeah. Good. Yep. I did. He was, he was one of the first I went to <laughs> and he approved. Excellent. Um, well, let's, let's veer away from, from fishbowl just to actually, no, I, I have one want, more. I yeah, wanted to ahead. mention one thing about the, where I, where that scoring lands for SFB scoring, that's 11 kickers in the top 150. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's 11 more from 151 to 200, which means they're very flex worthy. Like, so I, I didn't, I didn't make them, I didn't devalue them to the point where no one's going to play them. And I made them valuable enough that people who can do kickers well are going to have an advantage there. I think. I'll tell you one thing, one extra thing that I really like about it. And, and since you've kind of put it in, in, context a little bit and told us where where approximately they'll fall in the in the overall ranks i love that they basically fall into the same spots as some of the wide receiver three four types some of the boom bust wide receivers because good luck predicting those guys week to week (laughs) right like they they're in this bucket with like fine you want to you want to complain about kickers being difficult to forecast on a week to week basis. I kind of understand it. Well, so is, you know, Michael Gallup. So is, um, Hollywood Brown, right? Like, so are, so are all these guys who are going to have a bunch of like two catch 30 yard weeks. And then they're going to have the four catch, uh, 140 yard two touchdown week, right? They're going to do that three times. Those Mm -hmm. guys are difficult to forecast too. And I love that the kickers fall into the same, into the same range as those guys. Yeah. That's, that's a perfect way to put it. That's, that's, I, I should start saying that when I go on shows that those are the comparables because a lot of people can't mentally put what's going in those numbers. That's that's a great way yeah. to put it. To wrap up Fishbowl, just talk about the charity aspect of the league. And I, like obviously playing for charity and contributing to charity um, at mm-hmm. the at the end of a season is something we can all do yeah. and we should all do, right? <laughs> and And I think you're... I think your notion is just take one, you know, take take one uh, one Entry manager's fee. league fee yep. and and throw it to the charity of the league's choice, which of course is a is a great way to do it. So just just talk a little bit about the history of Fishbowl and the the charitable aspect. Yeah, that that's something I've tagged on radio shows and podcasts for years and years. Is one entry fee to to uh, a charity, your league's not going to miss it. They'll, they'll actually mm-hmm. probably be behind it. With a hundred thousand leagues out there, we can do a ton of good. And uh, you know, several years ago, this that was not something that people 
even cared about much when, when I would say it. And now it, it feels like it's a mentality that's really, really grown out there. And people are starting up little tournaments everywhere that, uh, to try to help different causes. And I, I absolutely love seeing it for SFB. Um, one year I helped a buddy in the industry do a toys for tots drive. And then the next year he couldn't. And it was right about the time that I had my heart attack and my brain was all in that, I got to be the best person that I want to be for myself, for everybody who sees me, for my for my kid, et cetera. And, and I brought that Toys for Tots drive to SFB. And uh, each year, it's just grown and grown. And it's, it's just an amazing thing. We, there's so many people that want to help out with it. We do several different ways to raise money now. And, and it, it's just... I love that it's become a mentality out there. I love that the fantasy cares mentality has been pushed so so deep into this industry that that tons and tons of places are doing it. Yeah, the the combination of that and then uh, something that uh, uh, our friend Michael Gelkin has pushed over the yeah. years, which is just to just to give to the charity of choice of the you know wh- whatever player you rostered that carries you to a fantasy title. You know, pay attention to, to the to the charitable endeavors that they support as well and. And it's, I've chatted it's just with him a perfect a few way to times. thank him. Such, such a good guy. Really good guy. Really good guy. He like, I don't know if there's anybody in the football industry who can give you a run for your humanitarian of the year title. Maybe it's Gelkin. <laughs> um, yeah. Re- really great guy. Great writer too. Uh, long history with Yahoo. Big Gelkin fan. Nice. Very nice. Talk to me a little bit about uh, some of the thorniest issues that you've talked about, uh, like that you and Ryan have hashed out on uh, Commission Impossible, right? Like oh, one, one of the sure. great things about this podcast as a format is that it is probably the probably maybe maybe it is the only fantasy football podcast where the shows presumably are evergreen, mm-hmm. right? Like yeah. the, the issues that are presented by fantasy commissioners or, you know, league managers who want you to settle a dispute or something like that, they pop up year after year and week right. after week. They are, you know, so you can go back five years and I'm sure, you know, a, an episode is is every bit as listenable today as it was then. It, it absolutely is. I, I love that you touched on the evergreen part just because we get people that email almost every single week that say that they've decided to go back and start binge listening to all of our episodes because <laughs> they, you can still take stuff from them every year. It's, it's, it's awesome that it does that. Um, as far as the toughest questions we get, I think the toughest question that we routinely get is how do I make my league more active? Which is, <laughs> Which uh, is yeah, easily the toughest question because there's no great answer. It's uh, because it really comes down to your league mates. You you can have the best, most fun twists ever, and if the team managers in the league don't buy in, it's not going to work. We've mentioned things like rivalry matchups. Like every year, you at the draft or whatever, you pick rivals, and like there's a special like. $10 on that. Or like you have little tro- like rivalry trophies. My home league does rivalry trophies. Like that has worked to spice things up, you know, one week or you take one week a year where you have something like that, or you do it throughout the season. Um, there's, there's leagues with live trade boards. Like whenever there's a trade, it's posted to the league and anyone in the league has 24 hours to try to up that offer and beat out oh, that that's trade. Awesome. That's yeah. great. Which, you know, obviously that, only works until like Saturday or whatever, right? <laughs> so you can't you can't do it right before a game. But you know, well, you can one set of the, the things I would like whatever. about that is that it shuts down all the trade complainers, right? Because yeah, there's a certain there's a certain type of manager who just wants to complain about other people's trades yeah, and doesn't want to make a any veto of their own. or something. Yeah, <laughs> yes, that's that's exactly what it does, and it it brings in everybody into 
you often see a trade. Oh, I would have done better than that. Well, you know, that's one rule that gets thrown on, thrown on the trade board for X amount of time and you can up the ante. And that usually gets people involved instead of just seeing in the email, Oh, a trade went down. I'm going to archive that or delete it. There it's, there's an actual actionable thing there to, to bring some activity to your league. But we, we, we give answers like that to try to, you know, we've given more in the past, but bottom line if if your team doesn't buy your if the managers in your league don't buy into it it's it's not going to work that's where it all comes from but we hope that you're you everyone out there is playing with good team managers that want to be active are there are there big issues where um you and your co-host ryan where you uh strenuously disagree we don't often we really don't and ryan and i both have this you mentioned like league shaming that I don't shame leagues for being eight teams or 10 teams or having whatever setting or unless, you know, it's really ridiculous and, and detrimental to a league. But, uh, Ryan and I are both really laid back when it comes to that stuff. So even when we do disagree, we're like, I can see your side. I just don't prefer that. That's about the, the <laughs> harshest, harshest we get towards, <laughs> towards certain things. Uh, but it, it just doesn't happen. Most of our questions are, are creative league settings that we try to help people hash out. And, uh, sometimes they're stories of bad commissioners, which is, which is fun. But Ryan and I don't disagree a whole lot. <laughs> we, we should more. That'd probably make better radio, but we're, we're, we're very focused on helping the the commissioners and team managers, you know, figure out fun things to implement in their leagues. I, I will say I, you know, I, I have acknowledged that I will league shame you if you're if you're like a just a zealot about PPR. But um, one, one thing that I never hammer people on is league size necessarily, right. because the the most the single most competitive baseball league anyway that I'm in is actually just an eight team NL only league but we have a million starting roster spots and like, it doesn't, you know, it's, it's NL only. So already we're, we're, we're just cleaving the player pool in half. And then there's just a million starting roster spots and short benches and everybody in the league is a shark and it is exhausting to, to win it (laughs) or to even finish near the top. And it's, but like I tell people, I'm in this eight team league and they're like, how crazy shallow is that? That's not even competitive. It is the single most competitive baseball league. I mean, it's super hard. Um, And so like size doesn't like league size doesn't really get at competitiveness. I feel. Yeah, I, I feel the same exact way. I, I, my, my home league, my main league started in 1992 and it is still here today. This will be year That's 30 awesome. we're going into. And it started as a six team and then it was an eight team and it's been a 10 team for about 20 years. And I, I almost feel embarrassed sometimes telling people because I know there's like this visceral reaction to having yes. a 10 team league instead of a 12 team league, but we don't care. We are 10 guys that get together for a Saturday for like seven hours or whatever every year. And it is pro it is my most competitive league as well. And, and there's just something about like having history that's that deep with a because everybody there you know like, like there's still grudges that are born out of the you know oh, yeah playoff semifinal in 1999 nine of the 10 teams that, it, yeah yeah nine of the 10 teams are going on about 20 years we've had that <laughs> last spot rotate a few times but yeah it's it's deep yeah can i can i ask is that is that league, uh, is that a Devi league? Cause I, I, this is just another thing about Scott Fish <laughs> is that I think you're like, I don't know. Are you the originator of Devi leagues? Are you, I've, do you get credit for that? I feel I've, like I've had a crazy career. <laughs> um, it is not, it started out as a dynasty league, believe it or not, because my dad played in these big 10 
leagues, a Big Ten fantasy oh league gosh. in the late eight, in the eighties and nineties. Oh my gosh! And they would draft incoming freshmen and then keep them throughout their career. So like he was playing with Evan Eschenmeyer for like twelve years, I think. Right. <laughs> so, um, but they would they would draft freshmen, keep them their whole career. So that's how I thought fantasy football worked when we started playing. So that's it was a dynasty from ninety two, and then I think in the late nineties it turned to a keeper. So that's a keeper league. But Devi. Yeah, I mean, that's how I kind of got into the industry. Is I, I should I went actually around. I should back up and and yeah. require you to tell people even what it is because I feel like the Yahoo sure. audience may not even know what a, what Devi leagues are. Sure, it's a developmental dynasty league. It's where you draft college players that eventually that they sit on the bottom of your roster on a taxi squad or just the back of your roster or whatever, and they sit there until they become NFL pros until they get drafted, and then you, they're on your fantasy team from that point forward. And uh, I started playing them in the late 90s. And part of the reason I'm in this industry is because I searched out on AOL chat boards and, and message boards and stuff like that, anything I could find on these leagues. And it just didn't exist out there. I'm not saying I invented them. I'm saying but I couldn't find But you're not, find not saying it. No, I mean, there might have been someone out there that played it in the 90s, like a home league in the 90s in like Pittsburgh yeah. or something that I don't know that guy, but he was doing it too, you know? So um, I looked around for him. It was nothing. And then a couple of years into the industry, like uh, writing for a site, uh, I decided to start my own site where I had the first articles, the first rankings, the first podcast devoted to Devi. Like I, I will take credit for really pushing it as a thing. I think it's a thing in this industry because of the work I did. I, I'll t that's about the most credit I'll take for it is that I really tried to drive it as a thing as the in, in the industry. I feel like just in the last, I don't know, maybe maybe it's 12 months or 18 months, it's it's really pushed through to the point that I, you know, I see pretty mainstream fantasy analysts talk about it. I don't know that everybody That's plays amazing. in them, um, yeah. but, I, but I see it mentioned and there's an expectation that everybody's just going to know what you're talking about. And, and like, I don't know, four years ago, <laughs> I, I, I was not aware of their existence. No. And imagine what it was like in the mid 2000s, putting up yes. Debbie rankings on a, on a, on a website. There was, yeah, there was not much interest, but, uh, I'm glad, I'm glad it's become that it's like SFB. Like I've watched these two little babies yeah. grow over the last 15, 10 to 15 years into, into real things in the industry. Um, it's, yeah, it's, it's awesome to see that happen. Okay, the the last big question that I have for you uh, actually relates to one of these ongoing startup uh, dynasty best ball monstrosities that I'm in right now. Okay. I just had I just had a draft in which uh, I took I don't know this might have been the 11th or 12th round something like that. I went uh, I went with uh, Kellen Mond and mm -hmm. Irv Smith back to okay. back, okay. and I need you to tell me that that was wise. Okay. Um, <laughs> well, I think there's good and bad there. I think. Uh, oh no! Oh no! I've made a terrible. Mistake. No, no, no! I, I, I'll like it as a Vikings fan. I'm the guy who was pounding <laughs> the table for Justin Jefferson to be the number one rookie wide receiver last year. Yeah. For, so, uh, maybe a little bit of bias there. Uh, the Kellen Mond thing. They like him. They had him really high on their board, uh, but Kirk. He, he didn't miss a, he took every QB snap for the Vikings in 2017 or 2018 and 2020. The only he the only ones he didn't in 2019 were when he you know sat on the bench and for week 17. Uh his contract is untradeable, it's uncuttable, it's like 46 million over the next two years with cap hits, 20, 30, 40 millions of dollars that will never be. So it's Kirk's job. 
and it worries me that like Bo Levi Mitchell, I don't know if you remember him. He's a CFL player. We brought him in and they told him, you're just here to help Kirk. You know, he, you're just, here. they tell people that come in, you're here to help Kirk. He didn't sign with us because he didn't like that. But we bring people in to be backups, not to like even compete with Kirk Cousins. So that's my worry with Mond is that we had five picks in the third round. I think we ended up with four, but we had five at the time. And we took him with one of them. If he develops, great, but we're looking at maybe hoping that next year, if Kirk struggles in his last year, he starts coming in then. I just don't see much for him this year. Oh, no, this it, is a this is like a startup dynasty league, and yeah. it's super flex. And if, so it's, if it's, it's late sort of enough, a, yeah. Yeah, I mean... It probably wasn't late enough. I just I just happen <laughs> to really like these mobile guys, and yeah, there's an aspect yeah, to his game that up. Kirk doesn't have. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's that's... I'm giving you the best case scenario is that he doesn't play at all this year. And next year in Kirk's final year, the the cost is already sunk. Maybe he gets some action to see what we really have in him because we're done with Kirk after that. Um, So your your best case scenario for me is, you know, sometime next year. Um, (laughs) But it's, it's okay. Long-term shot. I mean, but we we like Irv, right? Yes, we like Irv. I'm a huge Irv fan. Uh, I love that he was way more of a red zone guy than than Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer was yeah. even last year. I think he had twice as many red zone targets as Rudolph last year. Don't, I mean, Conklin's going to get some. The Vikings played, uh, ran three oh, wide receivers. Conklin is, is a super annoyance. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah. I, I was, yeah, a big pain. <laughs> yeah. The Vikings ran three wide receiver sets 29% of the time last year. Only one other team was under 44%. They only have two wide receivers and they get this. They ran three tight ends 10% of the time before Rudolph got hurt. Like they love having tight ends on the field. So Irv is going to be out there 80, 90% of the time. You know, I think Conklin averaged about what Irv did, except for the touchdowns over the last four games with Rudolph out. But if you just, if you put Irv and Rudolph together, you got like an 80 target, 60 catch, 700 yard, half a dozen touchdown guy, uh, or as I like to call it, like half of a Kyle Pitts. Um, that's what you're, <laughs> that's what you're going to get out of. No, I, I think that's what, where Irv is probably going to end up in that 60 for 706 touchdown type of range. Um, uh, but I like the future there for him. I, I really yeah, like I it. I put together, I put together dynasty ranks for this thing and, and Irv came in as, uh, as tight end number eight for me. It was just behind Noah Fant, <laughs> who I love. So like, I'm pretty, I'm pretty bullish. I like that the Vikings generally, and this is not even, you know, necessarily, this isn't even about Kirk or anything. I just like that. It's such a narrow usage tree. Um, Pianowski and I talk about this all the time. Like we know exactly where the ball is going to go and it used to go to Rudolph. And now, man, if, if Irv just gets another, it doesn't, it, it, maybe it doesn't even need to be the entire Rudolph workload. If it's just 25 more targets, that would be something because he was, I think behind only Robert Tunyon as the leader in terms of fantasy points per target last year at the position. Yeah. And and in the red zone, like I think three or four of his touchdowns were within like two or three yards. Like yeah. they look to him down there, you know? So yeah, I really like that. By the way, I kind of wanted to share my screen because I was going to say I have him as dynasty tight end eight on my notes. Excellent. So okay. We are exactly the same on that. <laughs> okay. I may have whiffed on Mon, but I, I feel I feel that much I better. I don't think Smith. you did. In Superflex, I mean, you gotta take those dart throws. And if Kirk goes down, you have a starter. Like he's gonna be the backup, yeah. right? So that's the kind of dart throw you want to take on a guy that just is one injury away from being a starter from you know, a starter with Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen, and and the amazing Irv Smith. 
Is that is that better? <laughs> Thank you. That is that is very well done. I'm going to clip that um, and use that in future trade offers. I think, <laughs> nice. um, Scott. It's this has been a total pleasure, and I'm so glad that we that we finally got you uh, on the pod and that we had this chance to talk. Um, I'm going to see you real soon at the FSGA yeah. conference. I'm looking forward to that. Yep. Folks should definitely be following Scott on Twitter. Again, it's at scottfish24. Um, you have anything, you have anything you want to promote? Anything, anything we should throw out there? What is, what is the biggest Nothing, fantasy aspect of your life right man. now? It, okay. My, my day job is the safe I, I run fantasy leagues. I'm a commissioner of thousand plus fantasy leagues. They're public legal fantasy contests that you can jump in. Uh, commission impossible. You mentioned scottfish 24 on Twitter, scottfishbowl.com. If you want to sign up and try to play against me or Andy or any of the other people you listen to on, on the Yahoo podcasts. Uh, almost all of them play, I think. Did I get all the major awards? Are there any honorary degrees or Nobel prizes or any, anything of <laughs> that get, sort? You out got there? more than enough of, of that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good, good to know. Good yeah. to know, um, folks. If you are if you are looking for podcasts uh, beyond this one, we got them for you. If you want college talk, you want to go ahead and follow the Yahoo Sports College podcast with Dan Wetzel, Pete Thamel, and our very good friend Pat Forty from SI. You should also be listening to Posted Up with Chris Haynes for more in depth conversations from the world of the NBA, where the playoffs, the damn playoffs, are underway. I am Andy Barons. He is Scott Fish. Please follow at Yahoo Fantasy. That is it for another episode. We are out. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.